couple studies that have actually been done on fiber. Anytime they removed it out of the diets of uh, constipated patients, their constipation actually went away. So why don't you ever hear about that in like the common news media? It seems like fiber is always suggested to help your digestive system when actually removing it helps it. The carnivore diet. Eat meat, drink water, no vegetables, fruits, or carbs. The carnivore diet is reaching fad cult-like status as a nutritional strategy that some swear by and many wave off as unscientific and unsafe. As your humble podcast host and self-experimenter, I decided to eat carnivore for three weeks to get some firsthand experience and talk to some of the folks in the fast-growing online communities revolving around carnivory. Travis Statham, our carnivorous guest today, moderates and hosts some of the largest well-known carnivory groups, including the Facebook group World Carnivore Tribe and the subreddit r slash zero carb. Before he went carnivore, he was keto for more than five years. Travis and I discussed why he believes that fiber from vegetables aren't essential for human health, how to get nutrients when eating carnivore, and theories on human evolution. If you're tuning in via audio, remember to hit that subscribe button for weekly episodes. For folks on YouTube, please subscribe and hit that bell to enable post notifications. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Travis, thanks for coming by the HQ at HBMN. Yeah, thank you. I was in town this week for a work project and all worked out. I want to get into carnivory, but before we move on to that topic, we should just talk a little bit about the history and the development of ketogenic diets. And I think you mm -hmm. mentioned that originally the most popular use case around 100, 150 years ago was treating drug-resistant epileptic children. And yeah. it sounds like the use cases have really expanded from there. And perhaps useful for the audience here to just give a sense of my background, I personally cycle in and out of a ketogenic diet where some periods of time I'll eat carbs, especially when I'm doing more endurance exercises. It's not because I'm skeptical of long-term sustained ketosis. It's more of a lifestyle and just shifting my goals for certain types of outcomes. And I think within the broader HVMN community, there's a lot of people interested in fasting and low-carb diets. And I guess like the way I approached ketogenic diets was coming through fasting, actually. Yeah, right. So I started doing intermittent fasting, so fasting for 36, 60 hours. Mm -hmm. And one of the endpoints of fasting is raising my ketone levels, right? Because right. you're basically plowing through your glycogen reserves, yep. turning ketones. Switching metabolic and, states. Yes. And my interest in ketogenic diets occurred when I was like, okay, like can you almost get the best of both or double down the benefits of fasting? You can't fast forever. That's called right. starving, you die. Right. But can I compound the benefits of being in a state of ketosis through stacking a fasted state with a ketogenic diet and cycling in and out of that? So I would say that I think for a lot of these disease or therapeutic uses, there's like a lot of potential with ketogenic diets. Mm -hmm. Like I think Verda Health is doing a really good job just showing RCT data on right. Or I guess it's not necessarily RCT, but it's like open labeled like yeah. studies. But like there are reducing hemoglobin one A one C numbers or reducing, you know, the need for insulin. So it's like that's being published. That's like real work there. Right. I think there's emerging data on it can be useful for glucose and or, or insulin control type ones. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned cancer. I think there should be a disclosure that some forms of cancers do use fat as a source of energy. So if you have that type of cancer. The just, cancer just make, discussion is complicated. Right, yeah. right. Like, it's not just do keto. It, there's a bunch of other conditions. Yeah, so exactly. I, I hope we can like tease out some of these nuances, not just provide like a blanket statement on just cancer, which is sure. a very complicated, yeah. multifaceted <laughs> disease that has been intractable and killing a lot of people. So it's a very serious disease. But I think the nuance there is that a lot of cancer tumors are very glycolytic, use glucose as energy. And glutamine, so, and, which is an amino acid, I think. Yeah, amino acid. So it stands the reason that if you shut down the availability of glucose, mm -hmm. you can suppress tumor growth. And I think there is some animal work, and I know that Dom D'Agostino and Tom Siegfried yeah. are doing good work in that area. That's who I know the most. There's also Eugene Fine and Dr. Richard David Feynman yeah. in Brooklyn. I actually met physicist. Dr. Feynman yeah, okay. like six months ago or something. Okay, I'm curious, like, yeah, so he's using ketogenic diet? Yeah, they're a, trying to do like a small study where I think they have people on who have cancer do keto and yeah. 
not really sure what their outcomes are, okay. but yeah, they have like an experiment.com website or something where you can kind of run like a crowdfunded science research. Mm. And they had an anonymous investor put a bunch of money in towards them. So yeah, it's, it's a question worth understanding, right? Like I think, I know a lot of our community members are just doing it. I mean, it's basically based on the mechanism that are just treating themselves or eating keto. And then of course doing standard, doing chemotherapy and the standard practice. And it seems like it's working for them, right? But I think the caveat is that there are, I think, some forms of brain cancers, glioblastomas, that do use fat or ketones as fuel. So no, if you uh, have that form. GBMs are the best to cure okay. with keto. I think but, there might be some solids where like, there's yeah, some glioblastomas are very amenable towards the ketogenic diet. You know, but I believe some cancers, including brain cancers, do use fat as fuel. So you don't want to sort of pour the other right, fuel right. on that fire. Did you hear Tom Seyfried's recent or maybe Dom's podcast on Peter Atia's show. Yeah. He talked about how he originally created a hyperbaric chamber yeah. that could measure cells in hyperbaric oxygen chambers and see how they reacted. Yeah. And then he ended up calling Tom and was like, hey, I just figured out how to kill cancer cells yeah. just like using hyperbaric oxygen. And Tom has posted a article called Press Pulse. Yep. It's a stacking ketogenic diet. Right. With like some drugs that block like glutamine. And basically the ketones protect your cells from damage. And then the lower glucose state kills the cancer. Right. And then I guess like the and your healthy cells are using ketones as energy. Right. And so then the, hyper, the oxygen also is like is like antithetical to Yeah. Somehow they're cancers. like destroying the cancer yeah. cells. And then yeah. you can do this therapy like twice a week. I'm personally interested also just from a business perspective around something like ketone esters, right? We can just jack up your ketone levels really quickly and acutely. So obviously a lot of work still to be done just on press pulse and all these therapies, but ketone esters can be a play a role in that. That would be interesting to understand. Yeah, right. What else? I think there's interesting work with ketogenic diets with Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've talked about in this program, Alzheimer's is type three diabetes. Mm -hmm. What other disease states where there's potential? I mean, there's animal work showing increase in longevity. This was mm -hmm. in the Buck Institute. A cyclical ketogenic diet was extending lifespan on mice. Mm -hmm. Those seem to be pretty obviously important, pernicious diseases that are facing the country. Obesity, metabolic Obesity, syndrome, yeah. you're talking about that. Anything else in terms of just like hot spots that, I mean, it sounds like you have like this whole list out. Anything uh, else we're missing here? Amy Berger just posted an article about gout and then okay. I cross posted it into the Reddit, our gout community yeah. today and they all hate it. Like, you can't <laughs> tell us to change our diets. It's yeah. all genetics and stuff. I think the biggest problem with the keto idea is that everyone calls it a fad diet. Mm -hmm. like a brand new thing and therefore they basically bring it down before they even really think about what it means right and i just think so many of our chronic diseases are caused by metabolic issues just burning sugar for 50 years it's just not healthy i mean the real question is what do we evolve on what diet did humans like get to this point how did they eat and it's pretty obvious like you look at any factory or any standard american diet today and you see that everyone is eating tons of processed carbs and yeah. grains and sugar and seed oils and fruits and vegetables that didn't even exist 100 years ago so i'm not really sure why that advice is being pushed as the healthy diligent advice to follow if it's pretty obvious it didn't exist 100 years ago like i think that's an interesting sociological observation and perhaps I'm overweight on this being based in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, but it seems that there are more and more people with not formal nutrition or physiology backgrounds, but folks coming in from the mathematics or physics or computer engineering yeah. perspective. And that's my background. I'm a computer scientist by background. And I believe you're a computer engineer yeah, as well, right? Yeah. Where folks cut from our cloth are applying our engineering training and our systems thinking or systems right. engineering approach towards humans. Just being critical thinking and right. approaching it as if like we have no foreknowledge. Right. I think nutritionists and dietitians and doctors, they've all been taught these flawed paradigms that weren't really based in fact. And if you talk to most of them today, they all push very plant-heavy diets with lots of carbs. They still think the brain needs 130 grams of carbs a day. Yeah. I'm like, well, what happens if you don't eat for three days? Do you just die? No. Anyone on Naked and Afraid doesn't die in three weeks while eating one snake. You don't need carbs. They're not essential. I don't want to make enemies with nutritionists and doctors. I think there are a lot of good people in these professions that are 
leading at the forefront, like Jason Fung, like yeah. Dr. Priyanka Wally, who's a San Francisco-based clinician who's also helping prescribing ketogenic diet. So I think hopefully do good work on the community and the grassroots side. And we also right. have more and more people from the medical community come on board as well. And I think I, we need I, that one-two punch together. I do want to get more doctors. I'm just saying everyone defers to the old advice and it all makes it seem like keto diets are unhealthy. Like, yeah. oh, they have tons of saturated fat and we all know that causes clogs right. your arteries. And saturated fat isn't even solid at 98 degrees. Like, right. why, how could it clog your arteries? Like, right. Makes no sense. Some of these old hypotheses are getting knocked down. I'm sure you've followed some of Dave Feldman's work with the LDL. Cholesterol code, yeah. Yeah, check out cholesterolcode.com. I think it helps demystify some of the conflation or the associations with LDL that don't really net out to something that's causative. I personally agree with kind of that philosophy now in terms of lipids that LDL in of itself is not an interesting biomarker yeah, for cardiovascular risk. I tend to look at triglycerides and HDL and then inflammation like CRP, C-reactive protein, and then I mentioned insulin and, and blood glucose. That paints an overall picture of what I care about in terms of understanding my blood lipids. And then the uh, granddaddy of them all, the CAC test. Yeah. Calcium artery coronary. Yeah. Coronary artery calcium. Yeah. And that's been pushed a lot by Ivor Cummins. Back and, Emperor. Yes. Yeah. And Jeffrey Gerber. They wrote a new book called Eat Rich, Live Long. Yeah. Came out this winter. There just seems to be more of a causative effect there rather than kind of these epidemiology studies that are just oh my gosh and we dealt with this like a week ago yeah that low carb mortality study came out yeah. epidemiology and they split everyone up into groups by how many carbs they ate and then right. found these teeny tiny little hazard ratios that are like too small to really show you anything right and they're actually saying that low carb causes all these problems right that's epidemiology you can't make causation yeah. statements out of that by definition yeah. you can only make and correlations then, or association claims. And then how can you explain how almost every time a ketogenic diet is actually tested, it yeah. does way better than yeah. the low-fat diet? I mean, I think there's a lot, and I think we can get really into the weeds here, but I want to kind of take this back into carnivory, carnivore diet. But I think you were mentioning a little bit about how, look at the foods that humans ate as we evolved. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've been experimenting with personally, hearing a lot of interesting anecdotes of people having success with carnivore diets. Just today, I think we were just on Twitter, people kind of making fun of Michaela Peterson around eating carnivore diet. It's kind of random why she's a random, not random, but like, it's kind of like, we kind of were known as like a fasting advocate. And it's kind of random that we kind of the thought leaders here or why you're kind of at the forefront of talking about keto and carnivore. We sometimes find ourselves in these positions. We try to do the best we can with the platform that we have. There's something in the waters here where this is hitting some nerve. Let's unpack that. And maybe the first place to start is how did you personally get into carnivory? Somehow I found Dr. Sean Baker on YouTube like okay. last August. And he was talking about his N equals many study. He was basically saying, we have this website, we can have people try 90 day carnivore experiments and log their own data and then create our own science through it. And I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. If we're going to do food frequency questionnaires through Harvard, why not just give you an online app that yeah. lets you do your own food frequency? I mean, all these people already track everything they eat in MyFitnessPal and you know, all these diet apps. Why can't we turn that into data? Have you seen the food questionnaires that the Harvard's Oh yeah, did? they're terrible. And it's they, like... It's like ridiculous how bad it is. It's like, yeah. how many times do you eat chocolate in the last month? <laughs> Once or twice? Three or four? It's like, I don't even know what I ate yesterday. No, you know? No, just like, like, and there's so many things like what kind of chocolate, how much sugar was yeah, in it. Yeah, so I think if you look 95%. at the, like, the baseline question, you're like, how the hell do you make any yeah. conclusion from this really, really coarse data set and, and like, oh. the bias is also shown a lot too if they start saying oh how much saturated fat stuff did you eat and they kind of make it seem like it's a bad thing right and people might put like, less I, even or, if you don't know i don't even know what like, yeah, saturated most fat unless you're know. like tracking this right like right. it's hard to track i think it's been shown that you don't know how much you're eating unless you're weighing it out. It's like yeah. hard to eyeball these things. Or like that low-carb mortality study, they calculated it out and everyone apparently was eating 1,600 calories a day, right. which is like a starvation diet yeah. that doesn't work if you give it to men yeah. for like six months. Yeah. They like go crazy. Right. So obviously that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then, yeah, I really wish we could get away from epidemiology. I really think it's been used basically as a way to prop up industry, to prop up marketing yeah. and Big food has basically been like, well, if we create a study that 
tells everyone what we want them to hear, then they'll buy our products because they think it's healthy. Someone said something that I think reflects well. It's kind of a Ouija board where it's just like, right, right. You can interpret, you know, statistics, 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 right? Like, what's the other saying that like just lies in statistics, right? Yeah. I don't want to dis epidemiologist too hard here. I mean, there's probably some value that you can get out of the work, but let's make sure that we're not over extrapolating the data, right? I think it's probably a safe thing to say. And, and let's educate people around like, let's not have like the mass media just spin like a, low confidence epidemiology study into like, hey, low carbs killing you. I think yeah, that's yeah. where it gets really, really out and of And people bed. don't know how to read science. So they see epidemiology like, oh, wow, this is yeah. pure proof. I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you're just reading it and you're yeah. like, oh, these people were studied and they didn't eat that many carbs and then they died. It makes sense. And then I can extrapolate that into yeah. keto with like a no carb diet. Right. But you were asking me about carnivory, right? Yes. So yeah, before that, that detour there. Yeah, carnivory. So, so it's Sean Baker, N equals many. Yeah. You I thought that was interesting. The first time, data. the first time I really heard of people being carnivores, I was like, "Nah, I think I should just say keto because I think it's like the yeah, safer." And you've already been doing keto for like five, six years yeah, solid. I knew it was crazy. I knew it could get extreme, and I didn't want to embrace it, so I kind of ignored it. Gary Tobbs talks about Bill Jamar Stephenson, right. who went to the Arctic and lived with the Eskimos for ten years, and he lived on an all meat diet over those ten years for like a total of five years. Mm -hmm. And Gary Tobbs talks about that a little bit in his book. So I've always known that that's possible, but I never really wanted to embrace it because I felt like that would He felt extreme enough and it's like, yeah. I don't need to go like And I felt like the keto, the keto message wouldn't benefit that much from the more extreme side of okay. like, oh, you should just eat meat. Yeah. But now I think I've changed my mind on that. I think it's almost better to push carnivore mm, and then interesting. say like, like that. And then I don't have to get into get low carbs and ketones and measuring percentages and all this stuff or like macros like protein simpler message you think yeah you can just say eat fatty meat and drink water and it's like that's it if it came from an animal you can eat yeah it, forget about it yeah you can have eggs and cheese and it seems like most people gravitate towards eating beef or lamb yeah so i always knew that was like the crazy thing and i tried to prevent myself from getting there and eventually i gave in and tried it it's like yeah this is actually better and out of curiosity you tried it and it's like even better than how you felt on just standard keto yeah yeah maybe helpful for the audience and for all of our education here what did you typically eat on a ketogenic diet and then when you went full carnivorous what did you cut out or what did you add i mean i just cut out broccoli and salads and basically any green sides that you might get for lunch you were so like lettuce on like a burger wrapped Okay, so when you're you know, eating like a keto, burger, you were doing some greens, yeah. you were sautéing with olive oil. Right, right. Okay. Or, or like I would sauté like an onion and peppers and bacon fat. And yeah. all, like one of my favorite things. I do like vegetables, don't yeah. get me wrong. I yeah. really do. And I think they do add lots of amazing taste to food. I'm just not convinced I need to eat them anymore. And I'm kind of curious whether they do more harm than good. I think if you start at that null hypothesis, you say, how do we know for sure whether something's good or bad for us? And then you just jump to the conclusion that it's good for us, you might skip over all the reasons it's bad. And I think the common nutrition advice of today has basically been saying, we want you to eat less junk food. And we think that meat is bad for you because of saturated fat and cholesterol. So the only thing that's left for you to eat is more fruits and vegetables. And that fiber and all that eating is going to keep you full all day. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think that's true. And I think eating plants introduces all these new chemicals into our body that just haven't really evolved to handle yet. Your argument there is that the modern vegetable is very, very different. Modern vegetables most of them come from wild mustard one plant like it's kind of like the wolf being turned into many different breeds of dogs right yeah. it's the right, same like broccolini broccoli broccolini kale kale brussels sprouts right, they're all the same. yeah they're all the same plant and it's just like mm. why do we need to eat this one plant many different types why is variety good yeah i think that's a good baseline so devil's advocate a lot of the concerns when people eat a carnivore diet is your gut microbiome shifts. You need fiber to <laughs> actually be able to poop. Clearly, if you've been eating carnivore for the last year, you can still poop and all of that. No, what I is actually <laughs> haven't gone in a year. <laughs> I, I that's a fact that's a, that's a I signed up for. I don't use to poop. That's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> So yeah, what is the response there? I mean, how do you engage on that side where the common engagement is, look, you need fibers, you need sort of the, the plant material to allow your gut microbiome yeah. to flourish. And so it really helps make a lot of micronutrients that your body needs. I think it's really like basically simple advice that 
seems to make sense if you think about it, but if you become a little critical of it, it kind of falls apart. So you think of fiber as just more bulk and you're eating it and then it's just kind of acting as like a bowling ball that goes through your gut and just pushes everything in front of it and then helps you stay regular in some way. But the couple studies that have actually been done on fiber, anytime they removed it out of the diets of constipated patients, their constipation actually went away. So why don't you ever hear about that in like the Mm. common news media? It seems like fiber is always suggested to help your digestive system when actually removing it helps it. One of the most influential guys that changed my mind on this, I always just assume fiber is healthy and I just yeah, I mean, that's generally how I think about it. I think that's yeah. generally how people think about it. Fiber, you can't have too much of it kind of a thing. Yeah, well, if we didn't evolve eating it, and there's all these people with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and IBS and all these digestive issues, and they're all being told to eat more fiber and they're not getting better, then there's clearly something wrong with this advice. And the guy that changed my mind, he wrote this book called Fiber Menace. I actually have it in my hotel room right now, like a chapter and a half. And he also has a website called gutsense.org. Mm. Almost like the entire book is like on that website. His name is Konstantin Murnikowski or something. So you're really pushing the argument that humans did not really evolve eating any fibrous or yeah. really plant material. Right. Your thesis is that we evolved as basically close to carnivores. Yeah. And we only switched to omnivory if we're starving or if we have a famine. Hmm. Eating plants, gathering them, very intensive. They t- it takes a lot of work. Like digging up tubers might take a while. And then you get like this little starchy thing that you have to boil. Yeah. I mean, you think of like the caloric density of berries these things, only right? come into season for a week or two in right. the whole year. It's, I mean, no one's living off of berries their whole life. Right. And then, and like, then primitive vegetables aren't these like nice, juicy, yeah, yeah. They're or, really hard to eat. They yeah. get rotten. Bugs get in them. They might be high up on a tree. They might be hard to access. And then, like, when I asked paleoanthropologists, like, what plants did people eat? Yeah. And they don't really know. Oh, yeah. They just kind of say, like, some because we've seen, like, well, this. yeah. I mean, let's just have a discussion here. I mean, you could say, okay, what do chimps eat? What do our closest animal relatives are monkeys gorillas yeah but are are they're eating most recent common ancestor is probably five or six million years ago right and chimps today eat five percent meat if they have access to lots of fruit then they can basically spend the extra energy to do riskier hunting right and not super high percentage of their hunts are successful but when they are they basically tear a monkey in part and then eat it (laughs) raw right and it's like amazing to see. I, I've seen videos of chimps hunting monkeys in the trees. They use social communication. They plan it out a little yeah. bit. And it's like, I could understand how if you take this basic core set of hunting skills and extrapolate it back into humans, like we can plan really well. We can uh, actually, so your argument is that the successful chimps are hunting and they're getting better and better at it. And the thesis is that humans were the next level even better at social well, dynamics and hunting and they're yeah, eating more and more meat. That all basically came. The hard part is the forests in Africa where our pre-human ancestors evolved, it's hard for fossils to be fossilized there. Right. For like pre-humans to be fossilized. It's because it's very moist and wet and anything that falls to the ground is gonna rot. So we don't have like a ton of fossil evidence right. to see like what early humans looked like. I think that we were probably some kind of ape human, ate mostly plants, and then were able to develop a small carnivory practice. And then basically the forests were dying out and the plains were coming in. And all these ruminant animals were living out on the plains, eating the grasses and being hunted by lions and, you know, giant predators. Mm. So I think these early humans left the forest and started scavenging these dead kills left behind by lions. Maybe they could bash open like a brain cavity and eat the brains out of like Chase with hyenas, basically out scavenge. They could also maybe catch fish in like a dried up pool. They could get clams in the natural lakes there. And anytime you can add more protein to your diet and more fat, it's so much more energy 
and eating it's definitely energy dense glucose. i don't think that's yeah and digesting fiber is a ton of work i mean we can't digest fiber we, yeah we can't digest fiber yeah. but cows can and gorillas right. can and these animals have developed really specialized guts right. that are meant to really yeah. only eat plants yeah and we basically made a trade where we said, okay, we can now rely more on carnivory to get our food calories. And in doing so, we can use less energy on our own digestive system and more energy on our brains. Right. And if you watch like any animal out there hunting and you were in a, was, on a safari, was, right? Yeah, yeah, I was recently in Tanzania. Carnivores aren't just fast and big and strong. They're also really cunning. They need to use intelligence. They need to right. sneak up on their prey. They need to get an ambush out. And all these skills mean they're really thinking, what is their prey going to do when they see the carnivore, like run away or they yeah. freeze? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And, I mean, one thing that struck me on so far is I was in Tanzania doing the northern circuit, going sort of seeing the Serengeti Plains, was that if you're a ruminant, like a gazelle, elephant, giraffe, they're constantly eating. They like do not stop eating. Oh yeah, yeah. And it stands the reason because like that's a one thing that just like really struck me. Like these are some of the biggest animals, like hippos. They're mad. Elephants are massive. Yeah, but they're just eating like grass. And how do you produce so much mass from such low density nutrition? I guess it's like you're eating all the time and and digesting all the time. And you're basically employing microbes in your gut yeah. to turn fiber into and, something into free fatty acids. Right. Yeah. Actually, I think some ruminants are actually in ketosis themselves hmm. because they're generating so much fat from these microbes that yeah, I, they're I, not I think really like lactating cows. When yeah, they're, they're not milk, burning. For example, are in keto. Yeah, and they're not really burning glucose. They're not yeah. eating like tons of fruit. There. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's one thing that you mentioned, which I think also applies to some of the skeptics here, which is that. The fiber serves as a substrate for the microbiome or the gut flora to mm -hmm. ferment and turn into micronutrients right, or fatty right. acids. And I think the argument is that, okay, if you have no fiber, you're killing off your microbiome flora. And there's more and more data showing that there's connections between the microbiome with the brain and other parts of your organs. Yeah. And so you're putting your whole gut into disarray. What's the I've response? I've always thought of like the microbiome as like the end of the digestive system, right? So if we really needed plants and we really needed our microbiome, then if you went on a meat-only diet, you should die basically pretty quickly. That's not the case for me. That's not the case with any of the other carnivores I know. Yeah. So... Really what happens is we have all certain types of bacteria and they thrive in different environments. So if you're eating lots of plants and lots of fiber, you'll have lots of bacteria that will be happy and munch on that kind of food. If you stop feeding them, they're going to say, okay, we don't have anything to eat and then they're going to die, die. And we're going to be replaced. Yeah, and you're going to have to excrete all that bacteria. Yeah. And then new bacteria is going to come in and thrive in your meat-only digestive waste. Yeah. And so this book I read by Romanis, he talks about kind of like how the digestive system works. I'll, I'll just kind of go through it because I think it's really interesting. So first of all, our teeth, anytime you add grains or sugar to a human population, they get cavities. Mm -hmm. So the Eskimos had zero cavities. Any pre-Western tribe that didn't eat grains or sugar had no cavities and they were just eating meat. So I think that means that we evolved to have healthy teeth. Like it doesn't make any sense to die because you can't even chew anything right. or eat anything. You can make the argument that like elephants don't really lose their teeth either if they're just eating carbs. Yeah, but they've evolved to eat carbs and they have a different kind of teeth that has adapted to that environment. Okay, fair enough. I mean, could you make the argument that like it's refined sugars? Or yeah, it's refined sugars. Yeah. So I think I think, I think yeah. it would be probably uncontroversial to say refined sugars yes. for sure causing these these caries and these cavities but fiber also ferments in your teeth too and hmm. bacteria i guess release lactate acid and Lactic that's acid. what okay. dissolves your tooth enamel and gives you cavities okay so that's the first part then you swallow your food and gets into your stomach your stomach basically churns your meal around for like four to six hours and turns it into this stuff called chyme, which is like a digested yeast of something. Mm -hmm. And your stomach has a pH of one or 1.5, super acidic. Mm -hmm. And they've done studies and they looked at all the other animals in the animal kingdom mm -hmm. and the most highest level carnivores have the lowest pH huh. levels. So it makes you wonder if we have like 
a definitely some smoke. That's definitely some. Yeah, smoke. I wouldn't say it's so, like a smoking gun, but definitely some smoke. And the other thing is like for us to maintain such a low pH. It's a lot of work for our body to do all the chemical reactions to, mm-hmm. to maintain that state. You know, it has to protect the rest of the stomach from the acid. It needs like a really good membrane. It's not like an accident, basically. Yeah. There's a reason why we have a strong stomach. Right. And if we did evolve as scavengers that turned into big game hunters, it can make a lot of sense. Like we lived on meat. We ate bones. We ate marrow we ate rotting meat high meat and so after the chime gets digested this duct opens up and it gets pushed into your lower intestine and your gallbladder releases enzymes that digest the fat bile bile and all that acid does a good job of killing any bacteria that were on the plants but it also turns meat into paste basically so like in the small intestine it moves through and there's like a sesum organ that is part of the small intestine and it's super small and basically doesn't get used at all in our digestive system whereas in herbivores that eat tons of fiber it's like a super important organ that's where all the stuff ferments yeah yeah, yeah. there's like it's like the first chamber yeah. of a digestive system so if that's very small why is that the appendix doesn't get used anymore and apparently when kids have their appendix removed, it's because fiber has gotten inside of it and inflamed it mm. and caused a issue that causes it to need to be removed. Yeah. So this book recommends like should not feed fiber to your kids and doing so gives them all sorts of digestive issues. Wild. And we still don't know what causes type 1 diabetes, right? It's an autoimmune issue. Yeah. What if eating fiber caused type 1 diabetes? Like, that would be amazing. I mean, not amazing because I eat some fiber. I mean, oh, I think we're all eating Most some people fiber. do. And that's yeah. the thing. Like, we're just, if you, I mean, if you I, question I, yeah, these I mean, things. This is not, this is outside my wheelhouse, but this is interesting. I mean, I think it's worth further reading where, you know, I think we're clearly open-minded here having this conversation, like me personally experimenting with it. Do you know the original reasons why fiber is recommended? I do not. So there is this guy named Sylvester Graham in uh, America, and he was like a Seventh-day Adventist, Mm -hmm. a Christian, kind of like a cult, like a smaller sect of Christianity. And they had this idea that there was a temperance. I guess there was a woman named Ellen G. White, and she had some dreams or visions and basically thought that eating meat was like basically makes you horny and then you're more likely to sin. So you should eat. Which is probably true, right? Because you have all this protein, you healthier testosterone. That's definitely true. (laughs) I mean, it makes people fertile. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone who's had a keto baby knows that. (laughs) So Sylvester Graham, I guess he dies in 1851. And then this other guy is born in 1852 named Kellogg. Francis Kellogg, founder of Kellogg's. So he basically takes his advice and spreads out this fiber myth that eating lots of fiber prevents your sexual urges. He had all sorts of weird ideas. Was that the original text? Whoa, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. And now it's being used as like... And he was like recommending circumcisions and carbolic acid on clitorises to prevent... Wild. Like, masturbation you know like it's just amazing so there's basically a very deep religious ideology behind eating plants i can kind of buy it where like that seeded some notion there and right. then right. scientists and nutritionists were like okay let's actually so, put out some additional data on this and I don't, I don't think they're probably like religious fanatics that wanted to you know reduce libido in the population mm-hmm. but i think but that seeded the notion of why this is helpful and people wanted to confirm what well, was already there. Kind they, of thing. they created all these hospitals and nutrition centers uh, and they basically pushed out this idea. They would basically spread the church's message by spreading nutritional advice. And this woman named Elena Cooper in 1917 founded the American Dietetics Association. Hmm. The dietetics industry didn't exist before 1917, and then a vegetarian founded it. Diabetics or dietetics? Dietetics. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, They're just focused on diet. Okay. It's like a nutritionist. Okay, I I was thinking. Dietitian, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And now. I think I was getting confused, like Dianetics, which is like some psychology term. Like, there's some psychology (laughs) getting, you know, converted in here too. No, (laughs) I, I haven't seen that yet. But there's like a deep vegetarian bias that is pushing plants and fiber onto most of the society. And a good woman to 
follow if you're interested more about this is Belinda Fetke, the wife of Gary Fetke, who's a surgeon in Tasmania, who was mm. silenced because he was giving low carb nutrition advice to his patients who would come in and say like, I've got like an inflamed knee. And he's like, oh, well, I could it's do like, kind of like Tim Noakes, but yes, like Tim Noakes or like banned. Sean Baker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they banned him, like they sent secret emails and they're like, this guy is doing low carb diets and we can't let this affect our industry. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I think that's definitely worth investigating more into. I'm actually just curious. I want to just like drive it back towards things that you're actively seeing and something that we can just sort of comment at first hand here where clearly the carnivore community is growing, getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. I was reading, you know, the art, the Guardian article yeah. that probably like a year, a year and a half ago was writing about fasting. Mm-hmm. And I remember you know, being quoted for that article and then I literally just like fast forward. It's like the same kind of tone. Did Olivia write that? Probably. Olivia Solon? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think so. She called me and I did an article back in February. Yeah, for carnivory. Yeah. And I remember one of our community members, Lily, who is in the fast community also, was quoted in the Guardian article. And it's kind of the same, right. I think, bemused, maybe a little bit, dismissive, like confused, these guys are crazy people, kind of a tone. I'm curious, like how has it been from your lens, the growth of carnivory? Are you also the mod of Zero Carb, which is like a carnivore Reddit? Yes. How has that grown? So I actually know a ton of back info on the growth of Zero Carb. It's basically its entire history. So one of the main guys in the movement was this guy named The Bear. Uh, He was the sound guy for the Grateful Dead. And he did a zero carb diet for 53 years until he died of a car accident on LSD. Okay. So zero carb is not necessarily. Zero carb is a carnivore diet. Okay. So it means carnivore. It was basically the diet name he gave it and called it. And then the carnivore community kind of adopted it. Okay. Because most people talk about low carb diets, keto and stuff. And then this is saying like a play on word. Zero what carb. happens if you do zero carb? Yeah. And that means zero fiber, zero sugar, zero grains. Really what it means is zero plant. So like you really just eat animal products. And right now I don't know what to call it. I like the zero carb terminology, but I also think it causes a lot of problems. Because when you say to someone, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, well, what do you eat? Oh, just meat. Like, okay. I think carnivore is funny. It's I think like carnivore. Lion. Carnivore. Yeah, right. it's, just, it's, just, it's obvious. Yeah, right? I like it. It's obvious. It's <laughs> in your face yeah. it like makes a statement and then it says like wow like okay you're really eating meat you're serious where zero carb is like a play on words on the low carb community okay so this bear guy the bear yeah he yeah. writes all these blog posts on like these old forums and they create this zero carb diet and all these people start doing it and then like 10 years ago they started making facebook groups so one of the first ones was named zeroing in on health this guy named charles washington runs it He's a marathon runner and he's been doing a zero carb diet for 10 years, Mm. really just eating muscle meat for 10 years. (laughs) So when I first heard from Sean about zero carb carnivory, I joined all these Facebook groups and I was curious like why A, there were more than one and B, like what the message was. And the idea really wasn't to like focus on keto. Don't worry about your macros. Don't do pee strips and stuff. Just stop eating plants, eat a lot of fatty red meat. And you'll figure it out. And it was just kind of like refreshing advice to hear compared to like the keto crowd, which is like very scientific and very like, you always have to talk about which plants are acceptable on keto. Yeah, maybe I'm I'm part of that guilty member of that where I'm like, yeah, I'm finger sticking. Yeah, right. And it's like, oh man, just stop all that. Like, just move on, you know? (laughs) And I heard about this fiber menace thing. And then once I questioned fiber, I was like, okay, I'm basically good to try at least carnivory. I experimented with it for a couple of weeks over the last year, like from September to January. Mm -hmm. And then Sean Baker was on Joe Rogan in like November and that blew it up. You think that was the catalyst? That was the catalyst, yeah. Because Joe Rogan has millions of of subscribers and very interesting mix of people. He went on there and I knew that would blow up. Were you a moderator at the time? I was already a mod of Zero Carb. And how big was it before and now? It had 10,000 subscribers last summer. Okay. And it has 50,000 now. So it went up 40,000 people in a year, which was amazing. So there were these Facebook groups. They're zeroing in on health. And then there's another one called Principia Carnivora. 
zeroing in on health is very blunt and direct. So some people go in there and they say like, oh, like I'm cutting out plants for the next three weeks. People are like, get out of here. You're not in the diet. Like you need to just eat meat and water. So it, it has a very strict reputation. Yeah. And if you like that, you can stay in there. And then yeah. anyone who disagrees basically gets kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. They don't last. So I kind of like that. But then I also like was curious to ask deeper questions. So I joined Principia mm-hmm. and the ma there is named Michael Fries. And he just wants good discussions, basically. Yeah. You know, like he realizes people aren't always going to do it. You're more or less mostly a carnivore. But you can ask like more deeper questions. Yeah, I mean, understand it, right? That sounds yeah. reasonable. But there wasn't really like a group that was all about newbies, like brand new people, right. brand new to the diet. But both these groups had people that have been doing it for five or six or ten right. years. And how did the subreddit come to creation? Zero car <sighs> slash R zero carb. I don't know when it was created. Um, but you came in as a mod. You were like, hey, I'm experienced yeah, mod. I, I did like, keto science for a while. Let me be a yeah, mod. Zero yeah, yeah, right. I was like, yeah, I've been doing this. Yeah. Like, I can help you guys out. I can help des- redesign it right. and stuff. Uh, Reddit has gone through a big changeover in their design of their website. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've basically overhauled four subreddits to use this new design, adding in all this new flair and making it like really accessible and easy and yeah. hopefully pretty. Like, I've kept changing keto science. I've changed the icon like four times in like the last couple months. Yeah. And I think I'm finally happy with what I have now. So modding so zero carb and then modding zero Sean. carb. Yeah. So I wrote I wrote this giant yeah. like intro post to him mm-hmm. and all the other people that have basically talked about nutrition on Joe Rogan as like a opener. Mm-hmm. And I knew that he was going to be on this like a month in advance. So right. I like wrote up all these text things, and I wanted to get people interested from keto and keto science and other like the Joe Rogan subreddit and stuff, and be like, "Hey, this guy is going to be on. And he's going to blow your mind." And sure enough, he blew a lot of people's minds. The podcast is number ten fifty. Uh, really recommend everyone yeah. watch it. Sean is like a really nice guy, and he's like when you hear him, like you understand how honest he is and how afflicted he is by like the current status quo yeah and i mean it's interesting I, i've watched most of that <laughs> yeah, episode yeah. sean baker's coming on awesome yeah, cool That's i just awesome. remember yeah just hearing him speak i mean he's just like the older gentleman well, probably in the 50s 51 51 jacked 250 pounds six foot five yeah. and he's breaking uh, like records, records on, on the, the mass rowing machine yeah for yeah. And then what has the reception been since sort of like the breakout catalyst from Joe Rogan? I know that there's been discussion. I met a fortune writer who wrote about the Bitcoin carnivores. I think the creator of Zcash. Yeah, like Zuko. A, Zuko is yeah, like so a famous Zuko carnivore. is the ex-husband of Amber L. O'Hearn, okay. who's been researching keto diets for 20 years. Okay. He's also like a computer science works there but has done her own research yeah and she's been doing carnivore for like eight years i think yeah and she has a couple websites that are really useful there's one like a 30-day guide what i use to get into it into keto into carnivore okay kind of like have the tools just to read it there's actually a lot of good websites there's one called zero carb zen this woman named esme runs it and she does really good interviews with long-term zero carbers Right. For someone to adopt this diet, a lot of times they really need like pretty bad problems. Right. I don't really have many problems that needed zero carb to right. fix. But a lot of people have really bad digestive issues. You know, they are always constantly worried about having diarrhea that they can't control mm. or autoimmune issues yeah. because I mean I, I don't the I don't time. discount their anecdotes, right? Like if yeah. it's a pretty restrictive diet, I don't see how they're making money if I'm eating carnivore. And yeah, food, right. right. It's um, it's pretty so it's like advice. if they're going and doing that and seeing good results, like there's something, this interesting signal there. Yeah. I'm curious in terms of like the RCT question, right? Like mm-hmm. I think another big devil's advocate is, okay, great. There's some interesting signal here. Why aren't we starting this? Why aren't we doing randomized control trials? Right, right. I think we're starting to see that happen with keto. I think people are starting to do that now. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Are we just going to see that same kind of trajectory where it's going to sit around in the community and people are going to just adopt it, see good results, tell more and more stories until Yeah, I think it's going to be more, pretty grassroots yeah. for a while. Yeah. But I think the community is also backed up by keto science yeah. that like really shows the metabolic benefits to being keto and really makes us ask a question like, what if we evolved in keto what if keto is a natural state right. of humanity and i think that's basically where i am now i'm pretty sure that's the case 
I mean, it's an interesting thesis. Like, that's outside my wheelhouse per se, but I don't think it's an unreasonable hypothesis to understand more about. I'm actually curious. Are you tracking biomarkers now? Me? Are, are you doing Personally? lipids from like after no, keto? So this care. is just pure subjective. Yeah, pretty much purely subjective. I check my weight a lot, okay. and I can fast basically for a day if I want. So yeah. I like being 154 pounds. Like I feel really good there. Right. Like in like this zen-like state. Yeah. And if I eat like a really big meal, I can go up to like 157, 159 even. But then I might not eat for like a day or have a small meal or something right and then i cycle back down uh i really think of my fat stores as like a battery that i can add more juice to if yeah I you're, you're just meat metabolically fat adapted right? yeah you can actually right. just tap i mean i think and people I have, that are fasting or eating standard keto i mean you're seven years in into the experiment yeah. <laughs> very adapted to using your fat you have forty thousand calories right. of fat that you can burn and it's not like you have to switch to burning it yeah can just use it right away. Are there people in the community that are very biometric driven? Because I think part of how this is going to be more and more widely accepted is just people showing data. Again, being a devil's advocate here, I could imagine that someone on a vegan diet would say, trust me, I feel awesome. And you're like, I don't have reason to right. not believe you. But show me your blood work. But show, show me, me some data. And then like, I feel like as scientists, as engineers, we'd be like, yeah. okay, there's something here. I want to collect data. I want to do like an RCT on yeah. carnivore. I want to see kind of if you have groups of people doing keto with zero carbs, but only fiber, maybe like a fiber supplementation mm -hmm. and then really see if fiber is useful or not. When, yeah. when you just feed it to carnivores. Yeah. Maybe you could give them 50 grams of sugar and see how that affects them, if they can still stay in ketosis or whatever. Right. And if there's long-term nutrient deficiencies, right. which are, I think, much harder to measure. Like even vegans who, they have like a five-year store of vitamin B12. And then like after that, they really start getting sick. And because there's such a big delay there, they can feel healthy for a long time. Right. And then they're so in their zone that they yeah. can't escape it. I, mean, I think that's a good point. And I think that probably conflates some of the benefits of on either side. I think because a vegan diet or a carnivore diet or even a keto diet are pretty restrictive. Mm -hmm. I think in general, you're probably just fixing your diet from like the standard Western diet by yeah, doing right. something that is yeah. like restrictive. Yeah. I think people are seeing a short-term bump just from cleaning out processed mm -hmm. carbs, which that's always my first message right? too. Uh, I, made, um, I make a lot of graphics for Twitter and stuff right. just to... Because I like it. Yeah. I like so I think let's like I, I want to make sure like I think the nuance here is like like you're gonna see a short term bump by just being thoughtful about your food, and mm -hmm. I think by just having a diet you're sticking to, you're gonna just be more thoughtful. Yeah. And then from there, I agree with you. Okay. Like I think the downsides of a vegan diet is like you don't have essential amino acids mm -hmm. that are primarily from whole proteins, which mm -hmm. come from meat. I mean, it's much harder to have essential fatty acids. I mean, right. it's possible, right? right? But like you gotta be eating specific. I, I think you gotta really get and out of even, your way. The, try to eat. Even the pills you eat aren't like bioavailable. They need right. fats to be absorbed. Right. So it's like, or they're anti-nutrients in plants right. that prevent absorption. Right. So, so there's actually similar concerns for a carnivore. So doing a little bit of research as I'm doing this carnivore experiment personally, mm -hmm. a lot of people are eating liver, kidney, mm -hmm. organ just sort of the yeah. organ meats help tease into it. So some of the concerns, like, are you going to get scurvy? Well, like it, I think liver has a lot of vitamin C, right? Well, so scurvy can be cured by fresh meat. And that was a factoid that Stephenson talked about in his book mm. like 100 years ago. But no one ever picked up on it. And the only message that survived was that like citrus fruits and mm. fruits are like the only way to prevent scurvy. Because they thought they were eating meat on these boats, but it was dried salt pork right. that wasn't fresh. So there's vitamin C in the... I think there's a different form. It's like a collagen uh. in like fresh meat. And because you're not burning carbs, you need way less vitamin C. Okay. So one of the drawbacks of burning a lot of sugar is like you need more vitamin C and mm. like you pee out a lot of the vitamins that you eat mm. because the metabolic processes. Right. Um, so if you're on carnivore, you need far less of it and what you get out of meat is good enough. I get it, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason the British sailors called limeys is that it's probably a lot easier to store fresh or limes yeah. on a naval warship than having a bunch of cows, right? So yeah. I, I understand why. They weren't even fishing, though. Like, if they just have, like, their prepackaged salted pork and yeah. bread or, like, Yeah, so it sends a reason why people focus on the citrus. Because yeah. it's just not practical. Eat fresh meat all the time when you're on a Navy warship. But today, now we have refrigeration, and we can actually probably do it. But, like, 
the vitamin C, I, I think it's like one of the biggest scandals because yeah. every fruit juice company is saying great big source of vitamin C, but they're also saying you're eating 20 or 30 grams of sugar in every cup. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, if you're eating so much sugar, you're going to need a lot more vitamin yeah. C. But if you don't have the sugar, then you don't need as much. Yeah. And they're Fair basically enough. selling sugar with the label of vitamin C. Yeah. I do sense the community and the broader public is getting around to it. I think people start realizing that a lot of juices yeah. are equivalent to soft drinks. So yeah. That's at least what I sense. It's not um, something I thought of it when I was like a yeah. teenager and like chugging. Yeah, I know. I drank a lot of calcium night, right? enriched orange juice. Yeah. That's what my mom bought Tropicana for the house. was just delicious. Yeah, Tropicana, calcium enriched orange juice. I'll go that upstairs was and I'd get like uh, acid reflux at night <laughs> and I'd be like, why is this? I yeah. thought this was healthy. Maybe to make this a little bit more actionable, what are some of the common pitfalls around carnivore for the listeners out there who are curious? I think maybe to give you a sense and audience sense, you know, been cycling in and out of keto, I would say fairly expert on understanding how to do this properly, mm-hmm. having done a ton of finger sticks and knowing all the methodology here. And I didn't find any reason to be skeptical around a carnivore diet. Like I have no fears around a carnivore diet being harmful for me, especially on the short term. So it's like, okay, let's play around with this and see what it feels like. And obviously just a few days in, I don't expect to see any massive changes, but it seems pretty similar to like how I feel on a keto diet. Yeah, I think it's that, very like, similar. I haven't been measuring as much recently, but you know, imagine you know my ketones are elevated, feel fairly sharp, don't have really like the crashes of it being mm-hmm. on an insulin carb cycle. I bought a bunch of ribeye steaks from Whole Foods and got my thirteen ninety nine a pound. The bone in is twelve ninety nine. Anyway, this overly detailed here. So okay, I got some like ribeyes. I have some eggs. I got some smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to carry me for at least a few days. But what are the other pitfalls or other considerations? You know, what else should okay. people be thinking about? I got so, some bacon. I haven't used it yet. Big things are I find most people eat two or one meal a day. So pretty much always skip breakfast and then have like lunch or dinner okay. and basically have time restricted feeding. Uh, yeah. I call it intermittent feasting. Opposite of intermittent fasting. Yeah. You which- really try and eat like big meals, about a pound of meat per meal. I find most people eat two to three pounds of meat per day. So that usually is like a pound at lunch and then like a pound and a half for dinner. And most people like they start it and they think it's a diet and then they eat the lean protein chicken that they're used to and then they're hungry and they feel crappy. Right. Because they're not getting enough fat. Right. I think people that have been in keto for a while are much easier yeah, to they, convert oh, yeah. because they, they're used to I get to it. Like I'm, I'm trying to eat some of the fatty right, right. cuts. You, you're already, yeah. already thinking like yeah. fat is good. So yeah. but people going from like standard American diet right to carnivore, which some people do do, it's like a tough transition to mm-hmm. say like, oh, wow, I can actually eat like four patties. I went to McDonald's today. I got six patties. <laughs> Patties only. Patties only, quarter pounders, and I got like three cheddar (laughs) cheeses, and it was delicious. I mean, I don't need a bun, I don't need ketchup. There's a lot of debate over like what spices are allowed, but I think most people use cayenne, garlic, salt, pepper, and then like some herbs and stuff. But really anything more than like a pinch is like discouraged. Mm How about organ meats? That's something I've been like looking and it's like, so, I, I, I'm down to eat some I've beef heart. I'm down to eat so beef brain, much. but I don't know how to, I need to figure out like a local butcher that has that stuff. Like yeah. I'm totally game, but I just haven't figured out how to buy it yet. Apparently grass fed liver is the tastiest. Okay. Whereas like grain fed livers are basically trying to deal with all the sugar in, in mm. the body and they can't do it. And then they get sick and they get, there's like issues there. Isn't foie gras great? Yeah. yeah that's like <laughs> but foie gras is fatty liver from yeah. a goose that's right. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> I understand your point. It's like not a healthy but liver. There's a big debate over whether organ meats are necessary. necessary. Some people swear by them. Other people haven't had them in 20 years. Are you eating and organ meats? No. They're just eating ground beef and Ground steaks. beef and steaks and fish and lamb. I love lamb. It's a nice gamey meat, but yep. it also has great fat content and it's almost always grass fed. Bacon. Bacon. What kind uh, of seafood? Pork any, chops. You know, like what, clams, sell shellfish. Yeah, like crab, shrimp, any. wild salmon, some of the fish on sale at Whole Foods. I might yeah. try like halibut or cod or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, just fry it up in butter. It's yeah. like a, the easiest meal. Yeah. I've done a bunch of polls. And so the big group I 
also mod is World Carnivore Tribe. Yeah. Probably spend most time modding that. That's How on Facebook. That oh, that's now 18,000 members. So we started right before the beginning of the year, 2018. And Sean had this idea. He's going to make January World Carnivore Month. And I was like, that's perfect. I want to get people on this diet. I really think it can help cure a lot of problems. And yeah. I don't think it's going to kill you in 30 days. And if you can try it and enjoy it and get some good feedback out of it, it's going to spread. Yep. So I joined that group and Sean asked like, hey, you need some moderators for this group. Any takers? And I applied and got in. And we've basically been the fastest growing carnivore group on Facebook. So to compare zeroing in on health as 21,000, Incipia has like 17 or 18,000. Maybe we just passed them. I'm not sure. Yeah. So you did a pull. And Almost then, everyone yeah. that's in Royal Carnivore Tribe is fairly new carnivores. So they might have been doing keto for a while, yeah. but they're new to the carnivore concept. And um, then the polling in terms of organ meats, how does that sit? I published like 20 polls that are ran in the group over like the last yeah. year. I have a Reddit post on it. And organ meats, most people don't eat them. It's much more of a minority. Like 10, 20%. Yeah, it's a pretty small percentage. I think people think that they're necessary because they have more nutrients. Yeah. The question is, do we really need more nutrients? Mm. And the other issue is recommended daily amounts have all been taken in just a couple people who are on high carb diets. So how do we really know that like that amount of percentages of like all these different so it's yeah, like I mean I think there's already enough controversy aside from the carnivore around like we need to make a new like a new set of guidelines of like really what do we need? I'm just still not very convinced that we need to eat organ meats. Interesting. Okay. So maybe you're saying that maybe I'm overthinking it. If, if I think it is. And my message is if eating more organ meats is going to prevent you from doing carnivore, don't let that stop you. Okay. If you like them, yeah, which didn't stop try them I'm out. Like, I'm not going to die. Yeah. I know I've, I've literally not eaten yeah. for seven days. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did fasted for seven days before and for multi-day. So I know that like, um, I'll be okay yeah. if I just eat some steaks. I don't have any organ meat. So, okay, it's interesting to hear. And people yeah. have been not eating organ meats for uh, requests. So there's this yeah. guy named Joe Anderson. Mm -hmm. He's 60 years old, I think, today, actually, or fairly recently, just turned 60. And he's been doing a carnivore diet for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he basically figured out all this stuff on his own like 20 years ago. And his wife had all sorts of really crippling problems. And eventually they figured it out. And she was one of the first meat heal stories. Mm. And she looks super lean now and really healthy and just like the perfect woman. So they have two kids. One is 13 and one is 11. And these two boys have been raised on an all meat diet their whole life. Mm. And I think they've basically just been fed ribeyes for 13 years. The crazy experiment. So I want to like hear more from these kids. The problem is uh, Joe kind of got scared off by vegans 10 years ago oh. when this was all new. Yeah. And now that there's a lot more publicity and support. I think he could kind of be a really great voice for the community. Yeah, it's an interesting experiment. I'd I love mean, to. This is like a crazy case yeah. study, like carnivore from birth. Like, oh, carnivore wow. from birth, yeah. And yeah, that's what almost every Eskimo is doing yeah. anyway. So maybe as we sort of wrap the discussion here, I'm convinced that a carnivore diet is sustainable for a reasonable health span. Mm -hmm. Where I have open question, and I think this is open science, is that is this optimal? Or if it's optimal, what kinds of use cases is it optimal for? Right. So for example, it seems that for certain types of athletic events, like Ethiopians or East Africans, super high carb diet seems to do well for like the marathon distance events. Mm -hmm. it, there's, there's interesting arguments that people that are keto are now doing endurance events just as well now. Yeah. But I'm actually curious, is there applications of carnivory that are is more optimal than a keto or a vegan or a standard Western diet? And I think some of these stories will give us more and more case studies to show what signal there is. Anyone that keto can help, carnivore can help too. Yeah. Because it is keto. Yeah. And that myth that eating lots of protein kicks you out of keto isn't really true. Mm. I guess the glucagon prevents that process from crashing. Glucagon releases glucose. It's the yeah. hormone. It's the opposite hormone of insulin. Yeah, right. So um, you're saying that glucagon, which releases glucose from your liver stores, mm -hmm. will it won't kick you out of ketosis, like everyone mm. says. Professor Benjamin Bickman. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We've I've spoken to him on the phone before. He has a good talk on low carb down under that kind of debunks that myth. Okay. So. Yeah, anyone who might be helped on keto, you know, cancer, gout, type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, 
it's mild cognitive right. impairment, Alzheimer's, dementia, autism. I mean, I'm actually curious, like, are there stories where like people are feeling better than normal? I mean, like besides the therapeutic use cases, which is like beyond keto, sick people to normal. Yeah, I'm actually just curious, especially within my personal interests, are people seeing strength gains? I think some of the interesting things that Sean Baker seems to just personally embody is like he's breaking world records as a carnivore. Yeah, I, I, I like think it's hard to say. You, like you're elevating testosterone production or growth hormone because you're eating so much protein and mm-hmm. meat. I'm just wondering, is there that kind of sentiment in the community? The overarching like sentiment I've seen is that carnivore is better than keto. But when it comes to measuring why, it's really hard to say. For one, you have no carb cravings because you're not eating carbs. Mm-hmm. You're not eating plants. You're not eating any like, junky keto food that imitates real food yeah. or modern food. Yeah, that's one thing that I think I'm skeptical about. It's actually yeah. like all the keto meal replacement stuff. I mean, I understand why they exist. I, yeah, and, and I think there's a role. Yeah. There's a purpose for them, but I'm getting more and more skeptical about yeah, it's, a lot of these. Yeah, again, going back to processed. Right. And it's like, oh, I just want to stick to meats. But now, like, the new thing I've been studying is, like, digestive health and autoimmune issues. There's this intestinal permeability where your intestines are preventing most of the food from coming across these membranes into your mm-hmm. bloodstream. Like gut leaking. Gut yeah, gut, yeah, gut, like gut. leaky gut. Yeah. But some of them are getting through because we've been inflaming our guts for so long, mm-hmm. we're eating all this fiber, all these refined greens, and our digestive systems haven't adapted to handling all this. Yeah. So now I'm really trying to target autoimmune diseases, eczema, psoriasis, yeah. skin issues and rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. The biggest thing that people talk about is joint pain goes completely away. Mm. Back pain. If that works for everyone, that'd be huge. Yeah. And the last topic I want to bring up is the media and environment. We touched upon it a little bit. I mean, where do you think this goes? What is it like being a spokesperson of the movement? What do you think of the media attention around it? Are you amused by the, like it's obviously kind of troll. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. Kind, it's kind of troll. Like I think even with fasting, I knew it was like half real science that mm-hmm. is there yeah. and half kind of trolly. Right. I'm curious from how you kind of see it being in a similar spot. I collected a bunch of articles that all talked about the carnivore diet. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a, in a couple of them, but there's a lot. I want art- writers to really think about what convinced us to do this diet. I'm doing it because there are scientific reasons to do it. I'm really questioning most of the nutrition advice out there. And I think I have really good reasons to do that because I understand the history. If you have like a scientific fact and then you debunk the original thing that created the fact, you've debunked the fact. But because the fact was told repeatedly for 60 years, everyone believes it's true and nothing will change their mind. It's kind of like how the anti-vaccine thing happened, right? right? Like that one guy published a study, it was a fraud. Yeah. And then everyone lashed onto it and now it's like a real thing. A real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the same thing with fruits and vegetables, yeah. the same thing with high carb diets, low fat, all these issues. And they get ingrained in culture and then everyone thinks they know what's going on. And honestly, I'm not surprised by the media. Like, I expect it. Things take time to change. Like yeah. nothing gets changed in a year. There's no way 80% of Americans will be eating a carnivore diet next year. It's like, it's not going to happen. Sean says he wants to get the carnivore group up to 100,000 people by next year. I think it's pushing it, but it will come down to the right media exposure. When someone really goes in and asks, well, like, could this actually be healthy? And instead of asking like a plant-based dietitian that's going to say you need fiber for all these reasons that don't make any sense, Mm -hmm. ask paleoanthropologists, ask like, could... Or were humans really carnivores? Like, what evidence is there that we ate a lot of plants? Like, what evidence is there that we ate even 20% of our diet as plants? Right. And if there are, like, all these open questions that say, like, well, I don't know, maybe humans did evolve as carnivores for a million and a half years and only resorted to eating plants when they had famine or starving or whatever, then I think that would really change the discussion. But everyone is basically going in, oh, this diet is crazy and extreme. I'm going to characterize a and wild, kind of ridiculous people and troll them a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Excited to keep experimenting with carnivore. I think it's personally fascinating. I think it's interesting implications on diet and nutrition broadly. So excited to keep a track of the different communities in your work. So to wrap up here, where do people follow you and what's the best way to keep track? So I've become a big tweeter in the, like the last nine months. I never used Twitter before and I never really understood the point. 
And now I follow all these doctors and scientists in the low carb movement. Uh. And then like 10% of them are kind of becoming carnivores. And now that's like the new thing. I think, I think a lot of people are kind of bored with keto. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, we know it's true. We know, yeah. we know it makes sense. You know, it helps. What's the next step? I mean, keto doesn't solve a lot of autoimmune issues. It still introduces all these plants into diets. We don't know for sure whether they're a good thing. Yeah. And now that I think there's good reasons to be skeptical that plants are really good for us. And oh, so my Twitter yeah. at is Travis underscore Statham, S-T-A-T-H-A-M. I'm a moderator at R Keto Science on Reddit. So you do reddit.com slash R. And then each subreddit is basically like a group dedicated to a certain yeah. topic. There's Keto Science and Zero Carb. I also suggest just looking at Keto and seeing the amazing transformation stories there. There's also a carnivore subreddit that has like only a thousand subscribers and definitely focus on the Zero Carb subreddit. It's way bigger and way better moderated, I guess. Um, the carnivore one. Yeah, that, I, of course you're running it, so it's yes, going to be better. <laughs> sometimes people go on the carnivore thing and they're like, oh, there's only 600 people here. Like, right. what the heck? But Zero Carb is really the secret name of carnivore. Yeah. And then you can find me and any of the three Facebook groups, Zeroing In on Health, Principia, but mostly at World Carnivore Group, World Carnivore Tribe. Yeah. You can message me on Facebook. Uh, I'm getting a ton of friend requests since I was on Good Morning America. Still haven't really decided if I'm just going to accept everyone. Or... <laughs> and I guess that's it for social media. Cool. I want to spread the movement out and I'm willing to help anyone out if they have problems. So you can always ask me. I'm making tons of graphs and polls and graphics and diet charts and all these things. I made a big graphic of all the books that influenced me to get here and all the books that I know, at least if I read them, they kind of back up my points are on my reading list. I don't want anyone to look at this and think it's completely crazy. Like, yeah. There really is good research. You just got to read it. And I agree. I wouldn't be doing it if I thought it was just complete, just diet yeah. gurus doing some crazy shit. I mean, <laughs> something interesting. I'm excited to continue the experiment and learn more and get more conviction. Either way, I mean, clearly it's not going to be comfortable. That's not going to be negative. And then, then it's like, okay, can this be positive? Yeah, yeah, be positive. I would like to see some more bad results from carnivore. Yeah. It's a rare thing. I haven't seen that many. A lot of times it just comes down to like not having enough electrolytes or not eating enough. Most people seem to do really well on a carnivore diet. We know that that seems to heal people. And it's not like a new idea. It was employed by doctors yep. in like the 40s and 50s. There's this guy named Blake Donaldson employed it in his New York practice. William Banting did a low-carb diet in 1864. They used to treat type 1 diabetics with a low-carb diet in 1921 until they invented insulin like the next year. I mean, yeah, check out hashtag meat heals, right? Yeah, check out event. hashtag meat heals. Go on meatheals.com <laughs> yeah. and just read the stories. I know they're anecdotes and I know everyone should question anecdotes, but these are some amazing things and people have been getting really amazing results compared to keto. And I'm honestly not really sure why. Like maybe fiber really is as bad as it might or be. Or for certain subtypes of people, and right? Like I think clearly yeah, a lot right. of science to be done, but and a lot of work to be done, but continue to do the good work of just educating people. I mean, I think that Thank you. no matter what I think should be just a part of open discourse, right? Like you have an interesting point of view, you have your bringing data the conversation mm -hmm. you're challenging the existing dogma i think that's just generally valuable right if that ends up being the wrong dogma at least you're pushing people to have their true dogma to like have better counterpoints and vice versa right maybe this is the true way to eat <laughs> i think that is yet to be written so travis thanks so much for taking the time to drop in by thank you jeff yeah peace We'd like to take a minute to congratulate Joey D for winning a three-pack of HVMN Ketone by completing the podcast survey and helping us improve the show. As a reminder, every month we send a three-pack of our ketone ester to a new survey submission. The podcast survey can be found at go.hvmn.com slash podcast survey. That's go.hvmn.com slash podcast survey one word, all lowercase. The link is also going to be in the show notes. If you haven't already, help us out, enter, and have a chance to win some HVMN Ketone next month. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. As always, please send my producer Zill and I any feedback or topic or guest suggestions to podcast at hvmn.com. We read every single message and work really hard to make this program valuable and educational for you. Also, don't forget our ongoing special offer. By leaving a review on iTunes, you can get a one-month supply of our new Omega-3 product, Kato. Simply rate us with a written review on iTunes, screenshot it, and send it out to our email hotline. Again, that email is podcast at hvmn.com. 
Appreciate the love and support, and I'll see you again next week.